In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'll start uh, my Easter sermon this morning with a confession, which may be unusual to do. But sometimes when I read the scriptures, especially the gospel accounts, I just, I find it hard to relate. It's not that I find it unbelievable. It's not that I don't find some greater truth in the passages. I just don't have a real life reference point for some of the things that are happening. I've never seen a blind person's sight restored. I've never seen a lame person get up and walk. Although, in my hometown, there was a church that used to boast that they had uh, uh, wheelchairs and, and, and crutches hung up on their wall from all the people that they healed. Of course, I never went inside, so I can't confirm whether this is true. I've never seen water turned into wine. I've never seen a small boy's lunch broken apart to feed 5,000 or more people. These are not things that have happened in my daily life. And so sometimes when I read the scriptures, I am wowed, but I, but I don't connect. But the story that we've read this morning on perhaps the most miraculous Sundays of the entire year is a human story with supernatural or extraordinary parts. But the heart of the story, the piece that is up front, the plot of this story is a human story. Mary and the other disciples have lost their friend. They've watched Jesus die. And Mary has gone early in the morning and she is by the tomb and she is weeping. Only when she arrives, the stone has been rolled away. And the body is not there. And she doesn't know what to do. Can you imagine if you went to your loved one's grave and it was dug up or the stone was, was taken off and their body was not there? The, the type of emotions that would course through your body? So Mary does the only thing that makes sense to her. She goes back to the other disciples and she, she tells them what she's seen. And John and Peter take off. I love this. They just start running. They have to get there as quickly as they can. And John outruns Peter, but he stops at the door and he peers inside. But maybe he's cautious. He doesn't enter. But Peter... I love Peter. Peter just runs straight in. Now the scriptures say that they didn't understand yet what the, the scriptures had taught them. They didn't understand the teachings of Jesus yet, but when they entered the tomb and they saw the body not there and the linen wrapping, wrappings folded up, it was like their minds were opened. And it says that John saw and he believed. A little while longer, Mary is still in the garden, outside of the tomb. And once again, she is weeping. She does not yet understand what has happened. And she peers into the tomb one more time, and this time she sees two angelic figures. And they ask her what I have always thought is a strange question to ask a woman in a graveyard. Why are you weeping? She tells them, someone has taken my Lord. And I, I, and I don't know where he's at. And before they even have a chance to respond, she turns around and now there is another figure there. And it is Jesus, 
but she still does not recognize him. Perhaps the morning is just too dark. Perhaps he is in his resurrected body. Perhaps she is crying too hard to have clear vision. The scripture is not clear, but for whatever reason, she does not know who he is. And so she too begins to ask him where they have laid her Lord. And once again, he asks her, why are you weeping? There is an exchange that happens, but Mary does not yet know who she has encountered until he says her name. He says, Mary. The scriptures actually have uh, an exclamation point. So maybe it was more like, Mary. And at that moment, she realizes who it is that she is speaking to. Have you ever not recognized someone until they spoke? Maybe you hadn't seen them in years. Maybe the room was dark. Maybe you thought you were alone, but the sound of someone's voice was so familiar, it brought instant comfort to you. This is the type of personal human interaction that is happening in this moment between Jesus and Mary. He calls her by name, and at that moment, she recognizes him. and She sees And she believes, and she returns to the disciples, and she preaches the very first Easter sermon that was ever preached. Back in 2018, I had just been ordained, maybe six months. A good friend of mine had come into town. I hadn't seen him in many, many years. He was my best friend from uh, from graduate school. And a lot had happened in both of our lives. And there was much to talk about. And we met up in Austin on a Saturday night, And we spent four or five hours together, but then I told him, listen, I've got to work in the morning. I've got to go. And so I drove back to San Antonio, and he called me, and he said, listen, we're not done catching up. I'm going to come to service tomorrow, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time with you. We went to church, and then we went out to the Pearl, and we ate down at Grayson, and we were just wrapping up our conversation. It was just that moment where you began to feel like, okay, we've called up. Like, we're, we're back on the same page now when all of a sudden I received a phone call. It was my dad, and he sounded like I had never heard my dad sound before. He told me that my mom had had a heart attack, and it was touch and go, and we weren't sure what was going to happen, and he didn't really have any more information. But to make matters worse, he was in Kentucky on a hunting trip, and I was in Texas, and my sister was in Louisiana visiting friends, and my mom was alone in Florida with just my niece, who was like 11 years old at the time. It was a terrifying situation. Everything that we were doing, it was like Mary and John and Peter all running to the tomb, except we were all 12 or 13 hours away. And so we began to race to that hospital room. My sister made it first because she was only in Louisiana, and then my dad arrived there, and Laura and I drove through the middle of the night. We arrived in Pensacola, Florida at like 3 o'clock in the morning, And for that entire period of time, we didn't really know what had happened. It was like a 50-50. It was like my mom was in the tomb and I wasn't sure if I would ever see her again or hear her again or if my life was going to be the same or if this relationship was going to be broken in some way that I couldn't fix. And I remember climbing up those stairs to the fourth floor and going into the ICU and Laura, like John, stopped just briefly at the door and I ran in like Peter. And my mom was sitting up in the bed, and she was smiling. And it was an Easter moment, a resurrection moment. And I saw, and I believed. 
Last March, Laura and I had went home to Florida one more time and we were visiting with family. And there was news on the radio and on the TV that something was happening. They weren't yet calling it a pandemic, but they were talking about shutdowns and people needing to remain at home. And so we made the reverse trip of what we had made two years before and we drove from Florida to Texas and Laura fell asleep because that's what she usually does when we drive. And I worried. And once again, it felt like maybe I was outside of the tomb or maybe we were all outside of the tomb or maybe we were all inside of the tomb. I wasn't really sure. I worried about whether grocery stores would be open once we got back. I worried about whether we had enough groceries to make it for two weeks. And mostly I worried about whether we had enough toilet paper to survive. And then we got home and we thought it would be over in a couple of weeks. And then weeks turned into months and months turned into 12 or 13 months. And here we are today on Easter Sunday with the most people that we have had in here in a long time. But we've all been standing outside of the tomb for a long time. And maybe some of us feel like we have been inside of it. And we have lost time with friends and family We have lost a sense of normality. We have wondered if things will ever go back to the way that they were. We have lost work relationships and some of us have lost work and finances. Our lives have been disrupted. We have been in what felt like a perpetual Good Friday moment for a long time. And then comes today and it feels like things are maybe returning just a little bit. Last week, I was coming in on a Tuesday morning, and I parked just, just kind of in that back corner of the parking lot, and I walked up past the little free pantry, and as I entered into the corner of the courtyard, I looked at the courtyard that for several weeks after that winter storm had looked dead. And there is a diagonal set of bushes, if you turn around you can see it, that enters into the middle of the courtyard. It's always the first thing that I look at when I when I walk into the courtyard. It had been totally brown for several weeks. And suddenly there was little green sprouts for the first time. I stood there for five or 10 minutes. I wondered if the staff watched me as I knelt down and took photographs so that I could remember this resurrection moment. Sometimes it feels like Good Friday all the time. But today we are reminded that just as much as there is a perpetual Good Friday, there is always a perpetual Easter. And the signs of resurrection are all around us. And God is reminding us today, just as much as any day, that God deeply loves us and wants good for us and wants for us to be alive and wants for us to have all of the good things that God wants to bless our lives with. This is the meaning of Easter. That death has not won. That we are not conquered. That love has overcome. And that once again, we will be alive. Amen.